Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the All-American Armchair Network. By game time on Sunday, Steeler Nation had positioned their talismans to achieve maximum juju during the game with Atlanta in what was thought to be a bellwether for the remainder of the season. Could the Steelers vanquish a cellar-dwelling, yet potentially explosive Falcons offense? Would this merely be a contest of offensive wills, a test to determine which team could continue to generate points, or whether one would stumble through self-inflicted wounds. Thankfully, mercifully, the Pittsburgh's football Steelers produced more points in this game than they have during any regular season game in two years. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, October 8th, 2018, Episode 59. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Hello, everybody. 41, that's the most in a regular season. Now, that's kind of surprising. I guess we got to 42 against the Jaguars in the playoffs, but... But not uh, since, the, awesome I think, offense. the third or, third or fourth game against Kansas City in 2016 was when we scored more than 41. I think we had 43 or something like that. Uh, that's that's why I'm, I did I'm extensive research. Well, we thank you, and so does Steelers Nation. Everybody thanks you for that research. That's good to hear, and this game was good to watch, baby. Feels much better on Monday, doesn't it? I went to a – my girlfriend and I uh, had to go to a, a wedding, a Sunday night wedding, which seems to sort of like defeat the purpose. Um, it actually ended up being very quaint, very beautiful, and a lot of fun. But it, I, I'm biased. I don't know. The Steelers won, and they won in glorious fashion. So wherever I was going, if we were going for like a you know prison tour, it would have been a good time. But damn, it feels good to get a win. Yeah, and uh, it's good time to get a win given the next three games against ASC North opponents. Yeah, this is exciting. So uh, a ton to talk about in this game. There were a lot of steps forward. Um, we want to analyze, you know, what did the Steelers do? Did How much of their issues are fixed? Obviously, that's an unrealistic expectation. That's going to be one of the uh, themes of the podcast. An unrealistic expectation is to think that all the issues are fixed, but there were definitive step, uh, steps forward in a lot of areas. So that's really exciting. And like you said, I mean, this is exciting times, man. The next three games in a row, oddly enough, are AFC North games. You got the Bengals next week in Cincinnati, a you know, the Bengals look like the class of the AFC North right now. But honestly, I think all four teams are at a similar level of competition and they're definitely a beatable team for the Steelers. So uh, if they could take this momentum, you know, from this game, especially particularly well, from from all three phases of the ball, offensive, defensive and special teams, if they can take that momentum in Cincinnati and beat a team that we know they can beat. 
they're in incredible position going into the bye, and they could snatch first place away within the next three or four weeks, which is a far cry from what we were looking at before the episode this week. And the Let's game talk this week. A, Yeah, it was a fun game to watch. I think we are still holding our breaths, though. I mean, is is the of offense did what we hoped and what we expected to do? The defense looked like a real defense, and the the fear is that we played against a subpar a subpar offense, even though. Eh. Atlanta has some part. I mean, they, they rank high in some some respects, but um, that it didn't feel like uh, Ryan was completely on his game yesterday. Totally. So that's the thing. They're they're absolutely not a subpar offense in terms of talent. They're up there in the you know top three or four, honestly. And they've had success this season. They open poorly when they're on the road and outside against the Philadelphia Eagles, which is traditionally a struggle for Matt Ryan, although earlier in his career is a bigger deal. But he's been playing in domes for a couple weeks in a row in Atlanta and I think New Orleans, right? Or either way, he came back outside and he sort of seemed rattled by that. So there were definitely some mistakes from Matt Ryan in the game and he missed some open receivers, uh, some tremendously open ones. But this wasn't like the Ryan Fitzpatrick mistakes. This or like the Tyrod Taylor total ineptitude. This this seemed like the Steelers defense actually forced the quarterback into making some some mistakes. And this was definitively the best Steelers game on defense, not only this year, but I think the best one we've seen since around the Shazier injury. They tallied six sacks against the team not called the Browns. So this is a historic day for the Steelers. They forced a fumble in enemy territory. Those are the kind of plays that we need to see this defense make. Listen, like we told you last week, I mean, everything isn't going to change 100%. And I think that this defense only has a certain amount of potential. I don't think that they have the coaching or the players to become a top flight defense. But what we can hope for them is that they can become that you know, 2009 or 10 New Orleans Saints defense, which is opportunistic, one that creates turnovers. One, the defense was like that a few years ago. And these kind of things, sacks, forced fumbles, they're taking risks. They blitzed a ton. They gave up a long touchdown, but consequently they, you know, forced Matt Ryan into some er uh, errors by running the Chinese fire drill that has made Pittsburgh defenses successful in the past. And, and they definitely played well on Sunday. They took a step forward against a lot of talent on Atlanta's team. I did take a look at Atlanta. And if you look at their stats, they are ninth in passing yards, 13 overall in overall yardage. They're 26 in rushing. They are susceptible to the sack. They had 16. The Steelers have had nine. They, Matt Ryan has got hit a lot. They are third in the NFL in quarterback hits at 40. The Steelers are at 22. We gotcha. rush about the same, about 3.8, 3.9 yards. I will say their offensive line was intact. And for a top third passing team, uh, I was really impressed with the Steelers' defensive line push. And, and obviously there was a, a lot more blitzing yesterday. But I saw, two, I saw Cam Hayward and Tewitt in the backfield a lot. That was a welcome change. We talked about that last week. Cam and Tuitt had seemingly disappeared. They definitely got more of a push. Um, I think the blitzing was more – yeah, they, they definitely blitzed more than they did last week. But we told you this before, and this is going to be the identity of the team. I mean they need blitzes and weird exotic schemes to generate their pressure, and that's still true 
against the Falcons. But it was nice to see that they actually got away, uh, that it was actually successful. They were successful in confusing a more top-tier quarterback. Now, where you think Matt Ryan ranks in that list of quarterbacks, he's obviously at least in the top 15, and he's a very good quarterback, two years away from, you know, two years removed from being an NFL MVP. And my worry with the blitzing was always, it only works against these subpar quarterbacks. And once you play guys like that, I mean, you look what happened with Stafford last year. They lit him up. Well, they did a great job. And, I mean, the two big X factors for me on defense was getting the silver bullet back. Mike Hilton probably blitzed 13 or 14 times. That's an exaggeration, but he blitzed a lot. And uh, he did it very successfully, actually. And then the other guy who we know has the big red circle around his name all year is NFL sack leader and uh, member of the royal family, TJ Watt, with another three sacks. But these three were much more beautiful than in that Cleveland game. He is actually starting to beat his man. And like I predicted, the guy missed training camp. He missed all four weeks. We're in week five of the season. His training camp is done. He's exploding. I'll tell you what was tantalizing and where I'm, I'm resisting falling in love was the fact that Julio Jones was minimized. And he did have uh, nine targets, five receptions for 62 yards. But it appears Joe Hayden is the man. Even more interesting, we had Dirty Red and LJ Ford starting an inside linebacker swapping in and on with John Bostic. I didn't feel that the Steelers got exposed. And for me, that is the most curious aspect of this game. How could Atlanta watch four games and not just run a tight end down the middle or have a slot receiver being thrown to in the middle time after time? Matt Ryan threw under 10 yards 80% of the time. So that it was wide open. And somehow the Steelers, I mean, there were a couple seams. You, you mentioned the Sanu touchdown. Uh, right. As I looked at it, the defense only allowed two big rushes. Ryan scrambled for 10 yards on one play. Devontae Freeman went through the B gap for 20 yards. Those were the biggest rushes. Of seven completions over 15 yards, five were on short throws. And one of those was at the end of the first half when the Steelers were essentially in prevent. So it was yeah. an impressive showing both from a running standpoint and from pass for, uh, pass protection. So that the, those really put it into perspective, right? 80% of the passes under 10 yards, you were saying. This is why we need the damn all 22 to come out earlier because when you see the game on TV, you don't see the guys running at that 15, 20-yard level uh, to the post. So, But I would assume Matt Ryan and, and this offense that has been together for years now I would assume they would look at the past 44 games against the Steelers and they would try and attack that post level. So we won't get the real answer until we get that all 22. But I'm hoping when we get it, we see Keith Butler made some um, some changes in getting people to guard up that seam and towards that skinny post route. And I'm especially, especially excited to see how LJ Fort did, because for a long time, Outside of Shay's ear, he's been by far the best coverage linebacker on the field. And for whatever reason, the Steelers coaches do not want to put him on there or put him on the field. And it seems like he had a pretty good day covering. I'd be curious to see how many people he were, he was carrying up the seam or not or, or was it Matt Ryan, this or that. All I know is that, man, if they made that schematic adjustment, I'd be, I'd be very happy. But either way, the, there were just more contested catches. The Steelers defenders even – Many times we're in frame of the Atlanta Falcons player who was either catching the ball or in, who Matt Ryan intended to catch the ball. This is a pleasant change of pace 
from Chris Hogan smoking a cigarette in the end zone in that AFC championship game. We'll talk more about the defense later when we talk about the grades. Let's move over to the offense. And I'm sure you, like me, during the first two drives were wiping the sleep from your eyes, hoping it wasn't a dream because we scored a touchdown on the first two possessions. And if you recall, and we all do, the Steelers have not uh, has gone three and out the first four games, averaging game. five yards per series. Yeah, and on a lot of those, a lot of those series were f- followed up with turnovers within the next series or two, if I remember correctly. A scramble against the the I can't remember what the Browns one was, but obviously Ben's scramble interception against the Buccaneers, which was actually a pretty decent play by them. Um, Vance got stripped on the fir- you know f- by Tony Jefferson last week by the Ravens. So it wasn't only that they were going three and out, but they were going three and out and then turning the ball over, and they just got themselves into a hole and. We've been tweeting about it constantly. Everybody knows it's an issue who follows the Steelers, this slow start. But the slow start is very quantifiable into three and outs and a turnover within the first three drives. Well, they definitely did not do either one of those things. They took advantage of a very, very bad Atlanta Falcons defense who lost their two best players um, in the first game of the season and then – they lost their next best player, Grady Jarrett, their defensive lineman, before the Steelers game. And then during the game, I don't know if Tack McKinley ever came back into the game, but that's their fourth best player. So they were already bad, and they were down a lot of people. But this game, like, you can talk about how the Falcons played poorly on offense, and they definitely missed some plays. This wasn't like the Steelers turned around and were locking everybody down but there was improvement. That's what we're trying to say. And then on with the Falcons defense, they're not very good. But guess what, man? No, no defense is good. There's four. There's five or six legitimate defenses that are good in the NFL. And honestly, none of them scare me from a Pittsburgh Steelers perspective, especially with what we did to the Jaguars in last year's playoff game. OK, so I think that this team and Ben, like we've been saying, Ben, of course, we haven't even got to Ben. That's kind of a a big storyline, right? But, uh, you know, Ben's a rhythm guy. And this this team always struggles in September to find their identity. And then they start get it flowing. Okay, so if you had to beat up on a little bit of a pansy team on defensively with Atlanta, I'm fine with that, man, because they showed some good process and in in um, and moving the ball. Obviously, James Conner, humongous game. So before we get there, let's let's talk about something you and I are both gratified to see, and that is the feet master keeping his mm. feet firmly on the gas pedal, not trying to protect the lead, not trying to play, not to lose. Yeah, that's a that's been a huge problem of ours for every episode. You know, we gotta keep mentioning this to pat ourselves on the back, but also just tell anybody who's listening to this podcast for the first time. These themes of the Steelers, they've come up over and over again. Ben's inconsistency with his accuracy, playing amazing in in one or two quarters, but then playing terrible in other quarters. Um, The defense giving up the middle of the field. The unbelievable amount of penalties that the Steelers get. Uh, The Steelers getting out to big leads and Feetner going very conservative. You know, it's like the same thing we hate when defenses, if you've been suffocating a team all game, why do you go to the prevent at the end of a game, man? Just, Just take it. Be aggressive. If you watch the Los Angeles Rams game, they played the Seahawks in a very tight divisional contest. They were up by one point in the end of the fourth quarter with about two minutes left. And on their own 45-yard line, fourth and one, 
they went for it and they QB sneaked it and they won the game like that. Those are the kind of calls I like. Feetner in the past few games, you know, we haven't had any success running the ball and we've been throwing all over teams. And once we would get this lead by 14, 17 points, he would start handing off and it still wouldn't work. It's very annoying, okay? Because no lead is safe in today's NFL. The NFL has changed. When the Steelers were up 27 to 10 in the beginning of the fourth quarter, that lead was not safe. That game was not over, okay? This is how the NFL works now. Adjust, damn it, Feetmaster. Feetmaster did. And luckily, he was able to use the run game to run out some of that clock, but that didn't bother me because the run game had been successful already during the game. So he mixed some passes in there. They didn't go into the fetal position throwing strictly screens. It was nice to see that change of pace and that trend to actually change a little bit. Well, speaking of rushing, let's look at some individual some individual performances, starting with James Conner. 21 carries for 110 yards, got his average up over five yards per carry, and he added 75 yards to the air. Two touchdowns, Two touchdowns on, the on the ground. Yep. Yeah, of course, everyone, you know, dude, he's not going to get away from the Le'Veon Bell comparisons. And, and I don't mind making them sometimes because this season was predicated around having a proven guy like Le'Veon Bell. And your team is built um, basically around the fact that you're assuming you're going to get these types of numbers from your running game. And when Le'Veon didn't show up, that throws a wrench in the plans. Well, this dude is doing Le'Veon stuff, right? I mean, at least from a production uh, production angle. And just ama- amazing game from James Conner. We will talk about his fumble later. That is an issue. The guy has a fumbling problem. But aside from that, He's been brilliant, man. He busts off these huge runs. The first six of seven plays, I think, went to James Conner. And we keep talking about this. When you watch the Pittsburgh football Steelers, because we don't worry about the other teams, even though I did just admit watching Ram Seahawks, um, which, by the way, my girlfriend, Laura, big Seahawks fan, this tells you what kind of woman she is, a real champion, real American. We're at the wedding waiting for the ceremony to stop or to start, and she has – the Seahawks game in her lap and we're watching that on her phone. It's pretty great. It's pretty American. Anyways, going back to James Conner, another person who I love very dearly. He is making people miss. He is running people over. He took a screen pass on third and 13 and broke about seven or eight tackles. I mean, he's doing these kind of things that Le'Veon and AB and Ben and Vance McDonald now and Juju, these things, we need these offensive guys to be superstars and make plays where there are plays like where there's not even a play to be made. And that's what he's doing right now. He balled out. And that's how the Steelers are going to win with heavy doses from him. One of our close friends, Jerry Dulac, mentioned on Twitter yesterday that with his 30-yard run, James Conner now has as many 20-plus yard runs as Le'Veon Bell did all last season, which amounted to three. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great stat. It's cool to know Um, Le'Veon Bell has... He's better. Literally and only one weakness, which is he doesn't get those long runs. And honestly, it's cool. It's great to have them. It's no knock on James. But I've always said I don't really care so much about the long runs because look at Saquon Barkley right now, the transcendent running back, at least talent-wise, that the Giants foolishly took uh, <laughs> over a quarterback. And now, I think Saquon's really awesome. But Saquon, all of his yards come off of two carries per game. And I think he had like a 35-yarder and a 40-yarder during this past game. And the rest of them are negative two. One, two, three. Well, to me, that says you only had really like two drives where you contributed. I'd rather have the drives where like every drive you're going to get a first down 
from Le'Veon Bell. You don't, I don't care about the 30-yarder. We'll throw it to A.B. But that's just sort of my theory on that. Um, and the good news is James Conner can do both, man. <laughs> I mean, he's he's he has those big runs, but he also has shown the ability to churn his legs and get two yards when there's zero and get five yards when there's two. I mean, he killed it. I mean, he's such an awesome story. But more importantly, he's an awesome weapon. So I'm going to make reveal that uh, I have a lack of social media contacts. So I just figured out what the Wi-Fi meme went just now over the weekend. <laughs> no, I, I did. I did gather it over the weekend finally. And it seems that the Wi-Fi is hitting on four bars right now. The Wi-Fi is back on, baby. At least in the second half. Eat that. Eat that, Twitter. All you overreacting, hating bastards. Um, no, I'm I'm kidding. I'm only half kidding. I mean – Let's talk about the Wi-Fi. The Ben Roethlisberger to Antonio Brown, greatest QB to wide receiver combination to ever hit the football field, still right in their legacy and glory. But, man, it was horrific in the first half. And, uh, you know, rewatching the game, it so I think Ben was like 2 of 5 targeting AB in the first half. It was something like that. But it was the worst 2 of 5 you've ever seen. I mean, he tried to throw a screen pass to AB – I mean, this is a, this is like a middle school throw. I mean, it wasn't even ten yards in the air. Nobody anywhere near AB, and Ben fires it over his head behind him, and then Ben has like six, seven seconds to throw in the pocket. Has AB wide open, standing on the sidelines, twenty yards down the field, rifles it over his head, misses him on an out pattern, and you're just sitting there like, what the hell is happening? Okay, well, they recovered in a big way in the second half. And you got to compliment them on staying calm somehow because I don't remember what uh, AB's stats were in the second half, but they connected big time. AB ended up having six catches for like 106 yards and two touchdowns, 101 yards and two touchdowns, uh, which was really highlighted by my favorite play of the season by far now, except for the Vance McDonald stiff arm of glory, which was a glorious like 47-yard bomb that bent. It's just it's vintage. Ben, play actions, nice change of pace again, Feetmaster, play actions, bombs it to AB in between the safety and the corner for the touchdown. And you could tell it was it was a big – it's a turning point for the season when they completed you know, that. I thought it was really telling actually on the other touchdown in the third quarter, the nine-yard touchdown throw. The uh, camera flashed to Ben. Ben was all fired up. I haven't seen him fist clench and start – yeah, just gesticulating the way he did. By the way, I think that uh, that touchdown reception tied him with Stallworth for 63 uh, touchdowns in a career for the Steelers. So did the did the 47 yarder break that record? Then is he uh, now in some, second place? I'll have to do some research. Sorry. I think yeah, I think he's behind uh, Hines now. He's maybe like 20 behind Hines for the for yeah. the all time lead. But right. um, yeah, so let, let's let's talk about Ben real quick. Ben and AB. Listen, we know you know Ben's. Again, this is just this is so hard for me, but I have to be a professional. We have to speak objectively, okay? Ben had similar problems this game that he's had all year. Just random bouts of general inaccuracy, mostly directed towards AB. Let's let me tell you about Ben. We told you before he is the last of the real gunslingers. Brett Favre, Terry Bradshaw, that type of mold, man. He is not gonna eat avocado ice cream. He's not even going to work out, and he's going to eat some burgers. He's going to smoke a cigarette, and he's going to come out there and chuck it. 
And sometimes, you know, he's got to figure out how to chuck it throughout the course of the game. He can be a bit of a head case, man, because there's no explanation for why he was missing A.B. all season. And especially in the way he was missing him. The misses in the first half this game were tragic. They were terrifying. But I think I've seen him do this for years. Everybody forgets so quickly how scared we were last year for the first half of the year when his deep ball was off and he couldn't hit that. Then he started hitting it and he hit his stride. It's kind of what he does every year, man. He just sort of needs to see the ball go through the the hoop a few times. And once he did in that game, it started igniting. So he's not even playing at his best right now, but he is inching his way towards there. And the, and A.B., I mean, the guy should be having the best season of his career. Of The touchdown numbers are up from the from the uh, from other years and he is open and I do think that those guys are going to be connecting because Ben is making insane throws to Juju all the time and to Vance so you know he has it I think breaking the saran wrap on the AB Wi-Fi connection this week was a big step let's hope they build on it next week but he's gonna be fine man stick with him. let's move to another interesting facet of the game and that's special teams I think uh Jordan Barry must have hit the broken the glass on the emergency pull down and he had a huge game. He had punts of 51, 55 yards. He averaged 48 and it only went down because the last punt was from the Falcons 39 to their two yard line. He had a, uh, he had a season or a career game yesterday. He is bouncing back in a big way. Hey, Barry bounces back with big game filled with booming punts. He's the man. Dude, so this is what I like about the Falcons game, right? Was that there are quantifiable and measurable improvements or steps in the right direction from each uh, position group of, of need or concern, right? So it's not like they're going – they're playing amazing in one aspect – or let's just use Barry as an example. It's not like he played amazing one game and worse in the other game and, and kind of medium here. He's not all over the place. He kind of was horrific to start the season, and he's getting slightly better every game, just like Ben's getting slightly better every game. Um, so that to me seems like trackable improvement. That seems real. You're going to hopefully get a team that if they can get – you know that they'll hopefully peak at the right time. I mean obviously the season – is going to revolve around these next three games. But back to Barry. Shout out to my man Schwen. Schwen on Twitter. We've been talking. That's at Schwendy924 on Twitter. You can check it out. We've been having a little conversation about Barry and about, you know, are we worried about Barry? How, has this been an issue? And you and I have been talking all season since the preseason. He was looking pretty bad. I don't know if he had an injury, this or that. Now he started to improve as the year went on in terms of nailing his punts, getting inside the 20, but he could not get any distance on the ball when he's punting from our territory. And he blew that game against the Chiefs. He did it. He's done it in every single game. And this time he was blasting them out of our end zone or out of our own zone into the other zone and flipping the field along with having some punts, uh, at least a punt from the to the two-yard line. And he's setting up the defense, man. And this is how you have to play. Because our D, I know I'm rambling right now, but I'm excited about Barry. The last thing I'll say with that is, you know, our defense, I think King Cabala put out a stat in the last, before this game, in the last 49 drives, uh, Steelers have only forced nine three and outs. Like, 
the best case scenario is they get a stop eventually, but they're not going to stonewall anybody. The teams are going to move the ball on them. So if you have a punter that's going to get them down into their own territory, and you got to just make the offense have to go through as many places as they can. This is That was a big turnaround for him. Hopefully he keeps it up. From the Zenith to the Nader, I think there is another guy who needs to break the glass, and that is Boz. That is scary, that first extra point that he missed. It actually, even if he pulls it together during the season, it makes you wonder about the playoff. Is the pressure too much now? He signed the big check as he trying to prove yeah. himself. I have to tell you, I feel like it did at the end of Roy Jarella's career with the Steelers. Every time he, he lined up, it was just cross your fingers moment. And interestingly, I went back and looked at his statistics. And granted, the era wasn't completely different. They were kicking with yeah, it was totally muddy, muddy cleats that they had used in high school. So Roy Jarella's lifetime field goal percentage was 64. Boz is 87. <laughs> Jarella never kicked the field goal over 50 yards. But I will say that Roy Jarella's extra point percentage was 96 to Boz's 95. And well, I, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. They moved back the extra point. The posts are a little closer together, but it's just a little interesting statistic. Regardless, Boz still uh, doesn't have it completely together. And on two of the, two of the other uh, extra points were right down the middle. But the uh, fourth one did drift a little sliced a bit. I I think we can all agree that you just wanted an excuse to get Roy Jarella in the podcast somewhere. Love him. But let me well, end with a uh, – Well, hold you know, on. On that Boswell say. thing, yeah, absolutely. First off, has he missed in every game? I think he has. I mean at least all of them except for one at uh, the best case scenario. Here's the thing, man. This, this is crazy. This sucks. But we are officially on red alert with Boz. This sounds like a crazy, you know, fan overreaction. You know, should we be looking for if we're any other position, you'd be trying to figure out a solution. But with with the kicker, this happens, man. It happens to great kickers who get the yips. If you listen to Sims and Lefko podcast, the best uh, podcast for one of the one of the best podcasts for all around NFL. We shout them out a lot because they do awesome work and they're a really fun show. They had legend Colts punter Pat McAfee on the show this past Saturday. If you want to check that episode out, it's kind of cool to hear McAfee talk about what's happening with some of the kickers this year and why people are missing so many kicks. And he talks about Adam Vinatieri and what made him such a great kicker because uh, McAfee held for Vinatieri for a while. And he does talk about Boswell a little bit. And he talks about this, man. Uh, Kickers can get the yips. And I've been pointing out on Twitter recently that when this happens, man, it bites you in the butt at the end of the season or in the playoffs. It happens. Stephen Hauschka in Seattle just recently, he just – he just sort of fell off the face of a cliff after being so reliable for them for such a long time. Went to Buffalo, got his career back on track. Um, Blair Walsh was one of the best kickers in the league, and he did this in Minnesota. Uh, Sean Sweesham, he missed – he was known for missing game-winning kicks with the Redskins and the Cowboys, and then he got to Pittsburgh and really used clutch as can be. So when these guys – are head cases. It's they have to think about what they're doing too much, and it's crazy to think that someone so talented and amazing like Boswell is could have the yips already. But that's how the position goes, man. And I think they need to at least bring someone in to look at this. Otherwise, he could be in real trouble. We could be in real trouble. Well, let's look at another positive on special teams, and this is a guy we've loved. He's been our X factor. We wish he saw the saw the ball more. It's Rose Rosie. Knicks, blocking a punt at Steelers 18. 
That was amazing. We got to give Rosie credit as well as Danny Smith. Alex Cazorta put up a great clip on Twitter of how they um, schemed the block. But man, it was a long time coming because we uh, have been very good at blocking punts over the past few years. If you remember the first game last year, Chicolo getting that touchdown against the Browns on the opening possession. And then Tyler Matakavich was close to almost – Winning that game, who was it against the Chiefs, right? When he got the rough in the punter mm-hmm. call? Yeah, he should have blocked that if he didn't stumble. DHB almost got one last week when he got held and injured on that play. And they've just been getting so close to getting a punt. And they got it. And they blocked it, got the Steelers a short uh, offense a short field. I mean, these are the kind of things that you're going to need to see. I, I think Switzer is going to return one for a touchdown or at least a big return somewhere here. You're going to need splash plays from the defense and special teams because, like we said, the defense isn't going to suffocate anybody. So and very encouraging to see. So we agree. This looks like a game where we took a lot of steps forward. We still have some trepidation because we're unsure of the opponent's uh, abilities. But we did some things differently. It looks like we game scheme differently. Yeah. There were some that, you know, I, I don't want to get too redundant with it, but basically, listen, there's, we got to see what happens after this stretch. This stretch in the AFC North is what's going to determine our season. And uh, yesterday was a, or well, Sunday, I guess, was a good step in that direction. It's encouraging to see. And I don't think that it was just window dressing. I felt better about this win than I did about the Buccaneers win, which I felt was a little bit more a result of the Buccaneers' poor play rather than our good play. So we'll see if they can build on it next week against the Bengals. But, uh, you know, it's a good win, man. You know what else is a good win? All the wins that we make when we use my bookie. I have to laugh to myself when someone asks us how we're betting on games for the upcoming week. You know, don't you laugh to yourself? pretty funny we spend hours studying the Steelers and with all of our studying we still don't know if the team is going to win let alone know anything about the point spread or anything like that but there is one thing we are confident in and that is my bookie my bookie offers betters in all major markets an entertaining lineup of gaming options they have unique prop bets that you won't find anywhere else which is a huge plus for you fantasy addicts Rather than having just to rely on one team to uh, perform well in order to win, you can just choose one player to hit your wagon to and see if they perform or underperform or whatever. All right, so you guys will have an edge on betting on the game within the game. So take advantage of that live in-game betting and over-unders on fantasy points scored. They offer a plethora of major bonuses, including welcome offers, reloads, and cashbacks. You'll find sportsbook promotions, casino, royale, rewards, and a huge variety of different value-added programs that should cater to most better's preferences. My bookie has a great mobile site, it really does, that is easy to use with a sleek design that offers easy navigation. This is a company whose customer service you can actually access with a phone call, a callback request, or an online chat, which in this day and age, let's be honest, man, it's pretty good. I mean, that's going above and beyond, isn't it? Remember, Who you're betting on is just as important as who you are betting with. Take advantage of generous bonus options. If you make a deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they'll give you an additional $25 fee to pay on a deposit of over $100. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit. Dollar for dollar. Use promo code OUTPOST25. OUTPOST25. OUTPOST25 to activate the offer. 
Visit mybookie.ag online today and don't forget to use the promo code OUTPOST25. 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 When creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play, you play, you win, you get paid. You must need a nap after that. I feel it's exhilarating. I feel blood pressure like I just stuff. took a shot of caffeine to the to the dome. Well, now here's one of the favorite segments of our show. We go to the grades, and we, as we always do, we start with the quarterback. Yep, so we did some talking about Benny. Listen, that first half, it, it was very tough, especially the, the, just the crazy misses to A.B., but I think they knocked that Saran wrap off in the second half, and I think you're going to see uh, him doing better going forward. He, made some, he still made some beautiful throws in that first half. That touchdown to Juju, very encouraging. Um, just the general inaccuracy has to come down. Uh, one fun thing to note, his newfound, old-found scrambling ab- ability – those lack of cheese doodles, it's really paying off, man. It's picking us up one or two crucial first downs per game. It's it's a pretty good weapon when you put out that five-receiver set and everybody's going man-to-man. Obviously, you want to keep him safe, but he's not really putting himself in harm's way, and he is able to kind of just pick up one or two first downs per game, which is nice to see. And just, man, re-watching that game, his arm is at least as good as it's ever been. It As good as it's ever been. It might even be better. There was a... Uh, actually, it's a terrifying play. Uh, a quick post to AB in the third quarter. There was no window. To say the window was a postage size, a postage stamp sized window, that would be an overstatement. There was nothing, and it was so casual the way he rocketed this into AB in between people. You're going to need that type of quarterback to win games in the playoffs and ultimately march your way to the super bowl but let's not get ahead of ourselves we do expect more from him that this up and down thing oh and we still haven't talked about the worst interception i've seen in five years when he backpedaled when we were on the five yard line and literally just threw a moon ball to the defense and it was just that was abysmal he's got to cut out those psychotic decisions that happen once or twice per game right so we expect more but i think that it's on an upwards trend ben gets a grade of b minus Minus. Talk about the running backs, and I'll just uh, – we know who we're going to focus on, but Stephen Ridley did, did make an appearance, and we have noted that they are spelling James Conner more than they ever did for Le'Veon. But James Conner, 21 carries, 110 yards for an average of 5.2 with two touchdowns. James Conner was absolutely dominant. I think everyone can easily agree that he was the player of the game. Resembled very much this offense that has been so successful over the years where – you know, it's Le'Veon taking over a game. It looks different. I'm not saying he's Le'Veon, but man, this guy's a stud. We told you back in the preseason, some people were thinking he's a, a serviceable back. This guy's probably the back of the future. Totally comfortable with that. That being said, the fumbles, man, they have to stop. Yes, Ben and the offensive line played a horrific game against the Browns in week one, but it was James Conner's fumble that literally handed a touchdown to a Tyrod Taylor offense that was unable to even march more than five yards, right? So when James Conner fumbled, I don't know, it was the second quarter, we were up 13 to 10 or something like that. Man, he he cannot do that. It's been five games. He's already fumbled twice. And two or three of these games, he's, he hasn't even had 15 carries. He has to learn how to protect the football. And, and end out games that way. But man, he was killing it. He gets a grade. He would get an A plus, but that A brings or that uh, fumble brings him down to an A. So moving on to to receiving. Thank goodness Antonio Brown gets uncorked. Six receptions for 101 yards. Followed closely as we mentioned by James Conner, who had 75 yards. And Juju four receptions for 30 
four yards, but he did get a touchdown. Our leading receiver, Ryan Switzer, with only one measly catch. I mean, what's going on here? Hey, it was nice to see A.B. Um, break it open. I mean, the guy should have easily had way closer to 200 yards. Ben missed him on that drag pattern earlier in the game, and he didn't have anyone anywhere near him. So there's much more to be had with A.B. The dominant superstar is still there waiting. Juju a little bit down again this week after the past few weeks, but, uh, you know, made a beautiful touchdown catch and then birth to football, baby, in the end zone. Um, I'm really tired of all the celebrations in the end zone. They're getting really clunky. I thought that last year there were a couple of good ones, but I thought that Juju, bias aside, was so far beyond everybody else. And he started all the trends of like the children's game. When he did hide and go seek with Le'Veon, everyone, you know, they're football players. They're not artists. They were like, oh, let's do Duck, Duck, Goose. Oh, let's do Freeze Tag. No, no, no. This is just a bastardized version of the glory that Juju created. That being said, I liked the baby birthing. That was pretty funny. But pretty nondescript game from them. We're giving them a grade of A. So moving on to the tight ends, Jesse James had two receptions for 20 yards. Xavier Grimble showed up with a reception for nine. And Vance McDonald, kind of invisible in the game, one reception for six yards. But he only targeted twice. So not a lot of targets. So to the, five total targets to tight ends in that game. Turned yeah, out to be we, not necessary. So weird to see Vance down after being so good the past few weeks. We'll have to look at the All-22 to see if he was covered up or maybe just not a huge part of the game plan. Um, not too much to say with them. They played well with the oppor- the limited opportunities that they had. Uh, but I, I can't say that they really made a huge difference in the game, so we're giving them a grade of B minus. B minus. And it brings us to the offensive line. So Ben was not touched during that game, was not um was not sacked. He was hit uh let's see, four times. Some of that was from him running around, honestly. But uh listen, the Falcons are horrific on defense right now, so this does have to come with an asterisk, but they did their job. And they did open some big running lanes uh, for James Conner. It wasn't so unbelievably dominant that, uh, you know, we're going to write home about it. But they did a good job, kept Ben clean, opened some very nice lanes for James Conner. I don't know how many times I can say that. We're going to end it with two times. We're going to give them a grade of A. Let's wrap it up with the, uh, the Feetner, the offensive coordinator. Yeah, the Feetmaster had a, had a good game today. I mean, obviously the offense – not turning it over early helps him, but we pointed out early that we liked him still staying relatively aggressive uh, during the fourth quarter, which I think is essential for this team. I mean, think about how many long touchdowns that defense gives up, man. I mean, you're just a moment away, so you got to keep your foot on the gas. The success of James Conner on the ground probably led to Feetner's ability to use more play action. But there's a – you know, Warren Sharp is such an amazing uh, – you wouldn't say statistics. You'd say um, why am I just – why am I totally blanking on the modern – Analyst. Not analyst. Uh, this is a good podcast. What, Moneyball? Charlatan. Charlatan. You described – no, I'm going. talking about analytics, I guess. <laughs> we were close with analysts. He's got great uh, uh, feedback on analytics on there, and he's talked about how play action isn't – really a result of 
teams having run the ball successfully or unsuccessfully earlier. It's just a result of how convincing the actual fake is. So I still don't buy Feetner not use you know the fact that he hasn't used play action yet this year because we haven't run the ball. It's like man, if you fake it to him in the right situation, make the other team believe it, right? You can do that. So, but that being said, there was more success on the ground and there was more play action, and we scored a gorgeous touchdown off of it. And it's this team has used far less play action than everybody else for the last two years. And we've been saying this year is too much putting Ben and shotgun four five wide. Just read the field. That's not efficient. You need to create easier completions. You need to trick the defense a little bit more from a schematic angle. I thought he made an improvement. The one thing I will say is that he converted two third and ones with these toss sweep plays to James Conner. Reminiscent of the horrible failure toss sweep to Le'Veon Bell on fourth and one against the Jaguars in the playoffs that we all use when we talk about Todd Haley's shortcomings. Todd Haley's shortcomings. I do not like those calls. I know they were successful, but it's better, in my opinion, if you run right up the gut because at least if he gets stopped, he can power forward and kind of plunge for an extra yard rather than if you get caught on a toss sweep. There's not a lot you can do. But big improvement from the feet master. He gets a grade of A. Moving on to the defense. Let's look at the defensive line. Cam Hayward with one and a half sacks, as I talked about in the beginning of the show. There was great push from him to it. Alu Alu. We still arguing about the pronunciation of his name in Hargrave. So I felt that the pressure was there. Uh, the off- They were playing against the starting offensive line for the Atlanta, F- Atlanta Falcons. So no complaints. No complaints. And if you, I guess uh, it's hard to pin this on any one uh, uh, position, but Atlanta rushed for, for 62 yards, average of 3.3. So unless you have something to add, I want to proffer no. my grade. We give the defensive line a grade of A. <clears throat> Moving on to the inside linebackers, as I said, we had the second string in there for a lot of the game. We had Dirty Red and we had LJ Ford, who acquitted himself well. Uh, I don't think uh, Dirty Red made any major gas. He was sort of uh, not not present, but Ford was yeah. in the backfield. He had a he had a fantastic game as Bob Bostic did his usual solid had his usual solid game. Yeah, it's interesting because. Obviously, the biggest the Falcons have the identical team that they had with their record-breaking offense in that Super Bowl year. But anybody who really knows football or is paying attention to the coaches realize they lost their best weapon, even more than Julio Jones, which was their offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan was the first one to really expose that Denver Broncos defense, the no-fly zone, by just – getting his two great running backs who they still have freeman and coleman he got them matched up on linebackers and constantly passed the ball to them you would think knowing that the steelers have dirty red on the field a wise offensive coordinator would have targeted him more but for whatever reason he didn't or maybe the steelers did a good job protecting him but i agree yeah he he was not a liability out there uh before i give the grade i just want to apologize to the audience if you don't know dirty red that is tyler matakevich we give the inside linebackers a grade of A, which moves us on to the outside linebackers. And really, this yes. is about T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt with eight tackles, three sacks, four and a half tackles for losses, and he hit the quarterback four times. And he also had a little uh, – he had penalized on one uh, one play that we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. Bud Dupree lost his chance for mm-hmm. his second defensive touchdown. <laughs> On the fumble, Man. they couldn't quite find the handle for. I mean, that that happens, but he did have a one and a half tackles for loss. He, he had an okay game, wasn't exposed in any way. 
So let's get Bud out of the way real quick. If Bud was a fourth-round pick, he would be great, man, because he's a player that you can scheme into getting some sacks, and he's a great hustle athlete and can do a few things in covering some ground and coverage. But just as a first-round you know, top 20 pick, you expect the guy to beat his man. We here at Steelers Outpost know that he will not do that, but he's still a weapon um, to have. Now, on the other side, this is TJ Watt's best game as a pro, and I'm including his his first game against the Browns last year. We had that great interception in the two sacks. But either way, man, the three sacks, one of them was a definitive uh uh, just total beating his man and the other two were at least on the borderline of that and he's not just getting the hustle things now he is starting to slowly find ways to beat his man he even had one where i thought he got the sack but didn't get credit on Hay- haywards where he had a nasty bend around the end and i haven't seen anyone do that really since harrison was younger and man if he can keep this pace up, he's got to keep improving, but I think there's reason to believe he will. That was a huge game from him. If you're giving players of the game, it's James Conner and T.J. Watt probably, right? Yeah, so we're going to give the outside linebackers a grade of A. <clears throat> Moving into the defensive backs, and again, I'm lumping the safety with the cornerbacks. It's really hard to tell who's responsible for what until you right. at least see the all 22. And we don't see that until the the uh, podcast is in the can. So I think that they acquitted themselves well. There were uh, there was one big splash play, the forty three yard touchdown pass to uh, Muhammad Sanu. Muhammad Sanu, yeah. And uh, and as I mentioned, there were five, there were seven completions of over fifteen yards where they gained fifteen yards, but all the throws were under ten yards. So I think they were taking maybe the Steelers were playing back a little bit, but there was nothing other than that one big. I will say, and I'm not sure who to who to pin this on. In the fourth quarter, with about twelve and a half left in the game. Ito Smith walked in for a touchdown from the two-yard line. And I believe if you look at the replay, all he had to do is say, excuse me, because he excuse went in untouched. So excuse me, gentlemen, a lot of people for that. But Stand over here. But mind, unless you, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's the defensive backs that we blame for that. The, t- the big glaring thing for me is the touchdown to Sanu because – Sean Davis has been playing really well, but wow, he just whiffed on he the back there. He took a bad yeah. angle. Yeah, I mean, he's got to make – he is the last line of defense. That's his new role as a free safety. He can't just fly up there and miss the tackle like that. you got to at least – I mean, it would be nice if you were a good player and you flew up and made the tackle, but at least, you know, let him gain 20 but bring him down, man. I mean, you that, that you can't give people free touchdowns like that. At least make them drive down the field. Joe Hayden, if there's a third player of the game, you know, an honorable mention after TJ and Connor, Joe Hayden shadowed Julio Jones. We got to see the all 22, but from all things considered, he shut him out. All of Julio's yards even came on like useless uh, catches at the very end of the game. So I think Hayden uh, bounced back very nicely from a pretty brutal game against the Baltimore Ravens where they were really picking on him. I'm wondering if his hamstring is still recovering. But, man, to be able to take Julio out of the game like that, that's huge. I really hope that they have him follow A.J. Green this week. Like they used to have Ike Taylor totally neutralize A.J. Green up until kind of the end of Ike's career there. Um, and if he can do that, I mean, man, that that's really big. And it'll specifically come in handy against the Bengals team, who we're going to see twice and battle for this division, hopefully. Big game from him. Bad missed tackle from from uh, I think this grade. I see the grade here. I'd give him a. I, I might even go a little bit higher than this. From looking right, at your chart, 
I'm going to oop that up to a to a B plus. B plus. Sure. And finally, for the defensive coordinator, look, it's hard to see. You're going to go up to an A minus. Anyway, we'll stay with a B plus. Give them room to grow next game. So, defensive sure. coordinator, it's hard to judge anything other than the the outcome of the game. Uh, we held them to 17 points. We did get excoriated in the middle of the field, the place where we traditional uh, the traditional weak underbelly of the Steelers defense. Mm. Here's what you can see, though. There are crazy blitzes all over the place. Mike Hilton blitzes more than any other cornerback I've ever seen in my life. And I do think it's going to come to bite us in the butt sometimes because Mike Hilton doesn't always time those upright. And sometimes if you're a cornerback and if you don't time your blitz upright, which is to say like your goal is to start running towards the line of scrimmage like right before – you have to predict when the quarterback's going to say the snap because you want to be running already when he snaps the ball. Now, if you start running too soon and he doesn't snap it, then you kind of have to do that Scooby-Doo stop right before the line of scrimmage. And what that does is it tells the quarterback, oh, that guy's blitzing. So he's going to throw right into your area because he knows that's where there's going to be a weakness, a dearth of defenders, if you will. Um, that being said, we got to see the all-22, but – they got six sacks off of all kinds of crazy blitzes, and it seems like they confused Matt Ryan into making some big mistakes. You, that credit goes directly to the defensive coordinator. A much maligned Keith Butler did a good job against the Falcons. Keep it up. We give Keith a grade of A. Now, in the interest of time, we're going to lump all the special teams together into one grade, but uh, it, it makes it very difficult. Boz's extra point I'm going to set aside. That's Can't set it aside. Okay, so that's going to change my plus. Anyway, yeah, you look at Jordan Bear. We we extolled his his performance. We have Roosevelt Knicks jumping on that, uh, jumping or making the punt, walking the punt, and um, I'm not sure how you Jordan, want to add that all together. Well, yeah, Jordan Berry's in fantastic game and a blocked punt that led you know to Steelers getting the ball on the five yard line or whatever it was. I mean, huge game. Uh, I guess you – yeah, if you do take Boswell's extra point out of there, then you definitely get an A+. plus. But the thing with the Boswell mixed extra point is it's a sign of something much larger and more more worrisome. So I got to – so in the same way that we took the plus away from Connor's amazing game because of his fumble, uh, these missed kicks, man, that's a big deal. It's going to take my plus away for that special teams who otherwise had a very nice performance. So we give the special teams an A. Yes. Last, last but not least, but not least, Mike Tomlin. So people were asking me about this game. How did I feel this week? How are we going to do against the Falcons? I kind of explained it like this. Before we went into this game, you, lo- you were looking at two defenses, Atlanta and Pittsburgh, probably give their defenses both a grade of F. Can't stop anybody. They're giving up tons of points every game. On offense, the talent is almost identical. They have big-time weapons at receiver, running back, and a very good quarterback, and they have continuity. Obviously, we do too. The problem is they were scoring 30 points all game ever since that first game, well, ever since after the first game. So their offense, their defense was playing like an F, but their offense was playing like an A. We have the A talent on our offense, but we were not living up to that. We were maybe playing at a B level, if that, B or C on offense, on offense right? So I figured we could erupt, but if you're looking at the offenses, is the Atlanta's A versus our B and two Fs on defense, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of letter math for you guys out there. But that's the way I was quantifying it, you know? So I didn't feel great about it. But I kept saying, I know this isn't 
this isn't sound logic. This is a little mum. This is a little hippy dippy, but it just seems like every single time the Steelers have a bad loss, Mike Tomlin gets the team up for a big win the next week. I remember they found that huge bounce back with Kansas city last year. They did. They used Kansas city a lot for the big bounce back game two, two or three years ago. They did it as well. After the, they lost to the Eagles two years ago in that horrible loss, they creamed the chiefs at home. So he did it again, man. He very convincing win, solid win. You got to give Mike Tomlin credit for that. How much credit are you going to give him? I'm giving him an A. All right. One thing we said we'd come back to, speaking of Mike Tomlin, he an uncharacteristically uh, frustrated after the game talking about some of the calls. And he wasn't specific that it had to be the roughing the uh, TJ Watts roughing the passer call. Yeah, that might have been the worst one of the season, man. And, and you're getting like three or four of these league-wide every week where this is becoming a huge issue. When Mike Tomlin speaks about it, a member of the competition committee and a very, very composed man who usually – who really does not let emotion enter his post-game conferences whatsoever, he made that as a calculated comment. That's a big deal because T.J. Watt dove at the guy. He uh, tried to avoid him and successfully did. He basically just slapped the calf of Matt Ryan. And to Matt Ryan's discredit, he fell down like a doll Uh and actually (laughs) complained about it. But uh, J.J. Watt was watching the game and he posted on social media, posted a clip of it and said, I would love to hear the explanation for how this is rough in the passer. It was very bad way worse than even the two Clay Matthews high-profile ones. Uh, Zimmer, Coach Zimmer in Minnesota has talked about it. Sean Payton, Super Bowl-winning coach, legend in New Orleans has talked about it. Now Mike Tomlin, they got to do something about this, man. That's a big deal, and this is not the last we'll see of it. So we appreciate you listening to our show, and if you like it, please subscribe. If you like it, please share it with some of our fellow fans. We make this show as informative and entertaining as possible, and we'd love to get your feedback. You can leave us a rating on your app, or you can talk directly to us. We'd much rather hear from you. So hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Leave us a note on our website, SteelersOutpost.com, or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Hopefully we got some of these audio issues sorted out, you guys, or at least a little bit better. Let us know if you like the way it sounds or, or what you think. Go steal, men. Go Steelers. Let's go. Here we go. Okay, bye-bye. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.edu.
www.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.